passage will be from Luke chapter 11. We'll be continuing our series entitled Teach Us to Pray. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And the word of the Lord says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Dismissed for Children's Church, so now's the time to head that way. Uh, just a few announcements this morning, and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 11. Um, this week at Holly Grove is uh, their fall revival. It starts Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. and runs through Saturday. Uh, so uh, if you'd like to join Brother Frank at Holly Grove uh, for the fall revival, that's Wednesday. Uh, through Saturday at 7 o'clock over at Holly Grove. Uh, Also, the Children's Committee is requesting Halloween candy uh, for a trunk or treat on Saturday the 23rd. So on Saturday the 23rd, we'll have a trunk or treat outside. Uh, We need candy. There's a bucket uh, to my right, to your your right as you leave, but to your left as you come in for candy for Miss Jerry and for the Children's Committee to begin to uh, put things together for our fall festival. So that's uh, Saturday the 23rd. We'll have a trunk or treat here at the church. Also, the last announcement this uh, morning is next Sunday, the 20 or the 19th. Uh, on the back, you would have uh, seen and received uh, these two items. These two items are for our Golden State offering. Uh, they changed the name. Miss Eleanor, I don't know if you know this or not. It's now called the the golden offering. They took state out of it. But uh, the reason it used to be called the golden state offering is all the money, all the uh, resources that come in next su- Sunday will be used for uh, the, the Southern Baptists here in the state of Tennessee uh, for their missions. So we'll take up a, a offering next Sunday uh, for the golden state or the golden offering that for the missions of Tennessee. So mark your calendars, be praying to see what God would have for you for that. Um, there is a, uh, this is the envelope you'll put your offering in, and then this here is a prayer guide for the week to pray for uh, the state of Tennessee, how we as Southern Baptists can pray for the missions uh, and the glory of God to go forth here in the state of Tennessee. And lastly, we'll take some time to pray for our youth pastor uh, that God is preparing for us and us for them. Uh, Next uh, month, at the beginning of the month, we will Uh, If God has not answered our prayer, we will begin a search committee and begin to search over the next uh, three months, October, November, and December, uh, for a youth pastor. Uh, We'll begin to take in resumes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get to uh, Luke chapter 11 this morning. Pray with me, please. God, we humbly come before your mighty 
uh, throne that you sit and reign on sovereign over all things. Our lives included, this church included. We bring this um, petition to you for a youth pastor who have been praying faithfully uh, every Sunday and my hope is throughout the week uh, for this individual that you would bring to us. That this individual would love you and love students and have a passion for you and a passion for students. Uh, a passion to know you and a passion to make you known in the lives of 6th through 12th graders. We need it desperately, God. Our church, our community, uh, our schools, we need uh, to raise our children in the way of the Lord and we desperately are crying out to you for this individual. And, individual. and I, I pray, God, that if there's someone here this morning that you would place that call in their life and they'd be obedient in responding to that call. That even uh, in the next few weeks, that you'd stir a passion for them, if, for, for them and in them, for students, if they're here. If they're not here, God, we're praying that you would bring us a family uh, that would come into Palace Chapel that has, again, a passion for you and a passion for students. And lastly, God, we pray that you would uh, give us wisdom. If those two requests are not granted, we pray for wisdom on who and how to go and seek this individual out and the same that they would be seeking us out. So as always, God, we pray that you'd prepare us for them and them for us and that our students, uh, God, would fall more and more in love with you and take your gospel message into their schools and that you'd protect them and watch over them, provide what they need, as missionaries that are being sent out to middle school and high school. And now, God, we come to you and ask that you would do what only you can do from your word, and that is to bring conviction, sanctification, uh, encouragement, rebuke, uh, God, but that you would stir our affections for you through your word, and that none of us would leave the way we came, that all of us would uh, gain something from your holy word. So lead us this morning. Guide us through our time in the Word. We pray this in Christ's mighty and holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Uh, you are, I hope, already in Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11, uh, just a few verses. But we've been asking God the same way that His disciples said to Him, teach us to pray. And so we're asking God through His Word, show us how we are to pray. And remember what we've been saying through this series is this is not the exact way to pray. This is a template that Jesus has given his people to pray. Now, if you want to pray that prayer over and over again, it, it will serve you right. But this is a template for us to engage a holy God in through what we see as six petitions, six requests that we bring often to the Lord. We're in that third petition this morning. Um, next week, I believe Jared will continue the series. I'll be out of town. I'll be on a business trip. and I believe Jared uh, will continue our series uh, in this uh, prayer. But I want to look at three small words this morning. Three small words. Those words are uh, found in the second verse. Your kingdom come. Remember what we've been looking at for the first two weeks of the series, the first uh, sermon that we gave on this was the, the idea that God, we can come to God as our Father. 
that, that it's showing us this intimate relationship that we can have as children of God, that God is our Father, that He's not just this far out God, but He's a very personal God to every one of us. And we can approach Him that way. The same way that we can approach a kind, gracious, loving Father, that we have the idea and the thought that He will meet all of our needs graciously in kindness. Why? Because He's our Father. And that's how we want our children. If you have children, you want your children to approach you the same way. And so Jesus comes out of the bat to say, it's not this far off God, but it's a very intimate God that you can have an intimate relationship with as a father. Last week we looked at not only is he our father, but we are crying or crying out to God that his name be holy. So he's not just a father, but he's this holy God. And in our holiness, what we looked at last week, when we come to God, our posture to God as our Father, we also must see Him as a holy God. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah comes into the throne room of God, he sees the holiness of God, and what does it do to him? It flattens him on his face, so much so that he cries out, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live in a, amongst the people of, of unclean lips as well. God's holiness will always reveal to us our sinfulness. And in God's holiness, our sinfulness being revealed, it's going to push us to our face in reverence before God. We must approach God as our Father, but we must approach Him out of reverence or out of awe for who He is. Which now pushes us to the next thing. It's amazing, in eight small words, in the first uh, part of this prayer, we see, Three different attributes of God in eight words. Those three attributes are this, and we'll look at this one this morning. God is our Father, God is holy, but God is also King. Now, the, it doesn't say it explicitly that He's King, but it does say we're coming to God with this petition that what? His what come? His kingdom come. So if it's His kingdom that is to come, that automatically makes Him the King. So we're going to come to God this morning and look to him as our king. But it, it's amazing to see how Jesus leaves us from where last week. He leaves us in this posture of being in awe of God in his holiness in a posture of reverence. The same way that if any of us were to meet a king, we would automatically bow to him. And our fear of him, our awe of him. So Jesus is walking us through. He's our Father. He's holy, which leads us in this posture of our dependence to this holy King. And so this morning, I want to look at two things. I want to look at two things about what are we praying that God's kingdom would come for. When we come to that text, we have to ask ourselves, what would Jesus tell us that we are to pray that his kingdom would come? come for? So I want to answer the why we pray that and the what we are praying in that. So the why and the what. Over and over and over in scripture you see this idea that there's this kingdom that God has established. Over and over you see that throughout the Old Testament. You see that in the New Testament with Jesus. That's the reason Jesus came. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. But we know that the kingdom has already come through the Old Testament. That's what happened. And so I want to look at why are we asking God that his kingdom would come? The why is this, that God's kingdom 
is in a conflict. We're asking God that his kingdom come, but why are we asking? We're asking because it's already in a conflict with another kingdom. We would say this. We would say God's kingdom is in conflict with the kingdom of darkness. So the kingdom of light is in conflict with the kingdom of darkness. We know this from the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God had created his kingdom, his dominion, and all of it was perfect. All was good. He forms Adam. He forms Eve. He puts them in the middle of his kingdom. We call it the garden. That was the kingdom that God had created. The kingdom that God had created was that Adam and Eve would live in harmony with God. That God would reign supreme in his kingdom and his subjects would be in that kingdom under his rulership, living a full and abundant life in relationship with him, themselves, and with one another. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes in. And what does the serpent do? The serpent comes in and says, hey, the kingdom that God has established isn't really that great of a kingdom. It isn't really the way to live a full and abundant life. And what he does is he deceives Adam and Eve to believe that there's another kingdom that will fulfill all their desires. And that's where he tricks them. And Eve takes the fruit and eats it and hands it over to Adam. He eats it. And in that moment, the clash happens. The conflict happens. The kingdom of light is now in competition or in conflict with the kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom, those two kingdoms have been at war ever since. That's why when we turn on the news, and even yesterday, we, we come and we remember 9-11 because we see those two kingdoms always constantly at war. And so we're calling out to God in this prayer, God, may your kingdom come. Why? Because we recognize that there is a conflict with the kingdom of God. And it's been happening ever since. Remember, God then brings Adam and Eve out of the garden. And then he wipes out all the, all the world through Noah in the flood. And he reestablishes his kingdom, his people, the Jewish people, the Israelites. He pulls them away out of bondage and establishes them as their own kingdom again. And he hands them the Ten Commandments, the Ten Laws, and says to them, Hey, you want to live in relationship in my kingdom? Live this way with me and I with you. And what does the nation of Israel do again? It rebels again and again and again. So much so in 1 Samuel, what do they say to the prophet Samuel? They're looking around at all these other kingdoms and they say what to Samuel? Hey, we want a king just like them. And what they're saying is the king that we have we want to reject him because we don't really believe that he's a good king. And so they reject God as king. He tells us that in 1 Samuel. Samuel goes to God and says to God, these people want a king. And God says, give them what they want. They don't really know what they want, but give them what they want. So God hands them over to the kingdom of darkness again, over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. You see that all the way to Jesus come. What does Jesus say 
as he starts his ministry. The very thing that he said first was this. Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. I have come. I am the kingdom and I'm right here in your midst. John the Baptist started it. John the Baptist first said in Matthew chapter 3, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus in Matthew 4 says, I'm here. I've come to establish my kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus saying, you want to be in my kingdom? This is how you must live. That I can live with you and you can live with me. And what happened again? The people hated Jesus establishing his kingdom so much so that what happened to Jesus? They killed him. They killed him. And so over and over and over again, we see that these two kingdoms are at war. It's going on in your body now. Even if you're a believer, those two things, the kingdom of the flesh and the kingdom of the spirit, are constantly at war against one another. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. The very thing I don't want to do, I continue to do. And the thing I want to do, I can't do. What a wretched man I am. There's something that's going on in me. It's a conflict. How come? Because from the very beginning of our existence as humans, we come into a world, and coming into a world, we say we want to be what? Our own king. We want to reign our own lives. We believe that we have the best way of doing things. So we establish our kingdom, and therefore it comes in contrast to the way God has called us to. That is one of the reasons I have the job that I have as a counselor. It's not just because people are making poor decisions. It's because people are making poor decisions based on they think that's the best way for them to live their life. I always tell people when they come to see me for drug addiction, I said, this is your best life. This is your best decision making brought you here because you thought this is how you ought to live your life. Because there's something in all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we see it way back in Genesis 3. We see it in 1 Samuel. We see it in Matthew. We don't want to do what? Submit to something greater than ourselves. So there's always that constant war. And so Jesus is saying to us, he's revealing to us, even to our, ourselves, when we pray, your kingdom come, that what? That we are acknowledging that there is some conflict going in our hearts this very moment that we are asking God, would we submit to that? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So that's the reason or the why that we pray. Because we have rejected Christ as king. There was conflict in our hearts. And now Jesus is revealing to us that conflict, that we'd be dependent on Jesus again, that his kingdom would come first in us. See, Christ's kingdom is not going to come to the world unless it comes in his people and then through his people. That's the church. So we are going to usher in Christ's kingdom through our lives, through our submission. And so now the next question is, that's why we pray your kingdom come. What are we praying this 
for. In a sense, we're praying for a coronation, the coming of a king. Right? That's what we're asking, that God would reestablish his kingdom, the kingdom that he established in Genesis 3. We are now asking that God would reestablish that in our lives. We desire that God would establish his kingdom in us. But yet again, so many of us oppose the coronation in our own lives. How come? Because it will cost you something. For God and his kingdom to be established in your heart. Matter of fact, it's not going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. And there's something in us that we don't want to, we don't want life to cost us anything. And we definitely don't want God to take anything from us. And so we don't really want to pray God's kingdom come because if we pray that, then internally we know, man, we've got to lay a whole lot of things down at the altar for God's kingdom to really come into my life. And there's certain things in our life that we just aren't willing to call, count the cost for. So we don't really want that coronation to come. Because for God's rule and God's reign in my life, that means I must remove myself from the throne and must put him on the throne. He will not share his throne room with anyone else. So we must say to ourselves, God, your kingdom come, and I'm asking you to usher your kingdom into my life, and I'm willing to lay it all down for you to establish your kingdom at all costs in my life. So once we pray this and once we surrender to his kingdom being established in our lives, then what are we asking them for as he establishes his kingdom in our lives? Three things one writer says, and I believe this to be true. We must pray these three things as we cry out to God for his kingdom to be established in our lives. The first one is this. We must cry out for his plan. God has listened to the words. Your kingdom come. The first word of the prayer, it doesn't say a kingdom to come. It doesn't say my kingdom to come. It says whose kingdom? Your kingdom to come. Therefore, we know that God has a plan for his kingdom. So what is God's plan for this kingdom to be established? The kingdom is to be established through who? Christ and Christ alone. So when we cry out to God, your kingdom to be come or to be established, we're crying out to him. God, I know your plan, and your plan is that you sent your son into this world to establish a kingdom in my heart and the hearts of other people. That is God's kingdom plan. That's why he came. That is why he sent Jesus into the world. That Jesus would live a perfect, sinless life to establish a kingdom that would reunite his subjects back to the king. That is the plan that we are praying for, that we are reminded your kingdom come. Do you know this morning the plan of God's kingdom? Better yet, do you know the who of God's kingdom? Christ and Christ alone. Because if you do not know Christ and Christ alone, then the rest, this kingdom language won't make any sense to you. You will not want to subject yourself to a holy God. You will not want to give your lives away to God. You will not want to count the cost as Jesus says. If you do not believe in the plan that God has 
to reestablish you back into relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And how that happened, the plan was that he send his son to be in subjection to the king as the prince to live a perfect, sinless life. And God's plan was always to send his only begotten son that we would have and be reestablished into a relationship with Jesus. That is the reason. That is the plan that God had. How come? Because we have a father that loves us all the way back to the first word of the prayer. And if you have a son or you have a daughter that's wayward or gone, what is your plea that they would come back to you? Jared taught on it two weeks ago. So we know God's plan because he's a good father. He's a holy father, and yet he's a king. And that king wants to be in relationship with us that he'd give his only son to come to a planet that God knew that his son would be beaten, would die on a cross, so that for one reason and one reason only, the rest of us could be in relationship with God. So when you pray and I pray your kingdom come, it's a reminder of God's holy plan for my life, your life, and the lives of those who are still not a part of this kingdom. That's the plan. The purpose, as I said, would be that God's reign would be established in our hearts. The purpose was to show us what it meant to be in relationship with God. God has a way for us to live in his kingdom. God has a way for us to experience what Jesus said in John 10, 10, that you had life and life to the full. That is God's plan through Jesus. His purpose is that you would have a full and abundant life. Not your best life now. I'm just saying you will have a full and abundant life. I don't know if you'll have a great job, a new car, a new house, a great spouse. I have no idea. All I know is the promise from God, the purpose of God, that his kingdom would come is that you would live life and live life to the fullest. The way you do that will be through glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Being in his presence over and over and over and over again. Have you felt the plan of God? Do you understand the purpose of God? And the last one it is. And you may be sitting here, well, I thought God's kingdom was already established. In so many ways it was. It was established when he created it. It was broken. But he's always had his kingdom. He's always had his plan. He's always had his purpose. The idea is this, that God's kingdom would come. Not, not come and establish it for the first time, but reestablish what he did back in Genesis 3. It's this idea that theologians call the, the, the here, not yet. God's kingdom is here, but it's in its fullness. It's not yet happened. And so what we're asking is that God would come and reestablish his kingdom in this world so that the world would find what we believe to be true, that peace is coming. Peace through Christ is coming. That's a guarantee. We know that to be true from Scripture. And so what we're asking God is basically, hey, I don't really want to wait any longer. It's what happens at the very end of Revelation where John says, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. That ought to be our prayer. 
as much as I, I love being here, I'd much rather be in the presence of God. Anyone else with me? And that's what we're asking. We're saying, okay, God, make your progress come. And we're going to look at that more next week through uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. But we're asking that God would come now. I believe one theologian, he writes about it and gives in a great example of what that looks like for our lives and how this plays out in our lives. His name is Dr. Philip Rankin. In his little book on the Lord's Prayer, he gives this example of what it means for the here, not yet. And he uses this illustration. You know, on June 6, 1944, that ought to ring a bell for all of us. June 6, 1944 is known as D-Day. It's known for it's what happened when the Allies and the Americans, they storm the beaches of Normandy. And they take over Normandy. They, they've been on their heels this whole war, fighting and fighting and fighting against this wicked, wicked kingdom, the, the Nazis. And in June 6, 1944, the Americans, the Allies, storm the beaches of Normandy. And they begin to make progress up the beach. This is the first time in World War II that the Nazis are finally, what, on their heels. And, and so what happens is they storm the beaches. They, they take the beach of Normandy. And many historians say this. That's really when World War II was won. Normandy, when we stormed the beaches of Normandy, we got the, the, the enemy on its heels enough for us to continue to advance. And we would say that's when we won World War II. But V-Day didn't come for almost 11 months later. So we win the war in June 6, 1944. It takes May 8, 1945 for them finally to surrender V-Day. And so this, this almost 11-month war that continues, even though we won the war at D-Day. Victory didn't actually come, or surrender didn't actually come to 11 months later. That's so true in our lives, church. For us, victory happened at the cross, amen? For us, D-Day is Good Friday. What happened on the cross was Jesus went to a cross and he died for our sins and he broke the power of sin in all of our lives. But we are still fighting a war against this dark kingdom because V-Day has not happened yet. V-Day happens when he descends again from his throne and reestablishes his kingdom. That's the here, not yet. But we know for sure that victory is already ours, amen? His kingdom has come, and yet we're continually asked, God, please bring your kingdom now. Bring victory. We, we don't only want the, the, the power of sin to be broken, but, oh God, we want what? The presence of sin to be removed. And that is what Jesus is telling us here in this prayer. Your kingdom come. And so I ask this question in closing. As a way of application this morning. Have you experienced God's kingdom being established in your heart through salvation? If not, you will always be 
at war with God. You will always be in conflict with Him. It's only through your surrender to Christ Jesus that victory is yours. Jesus says it this way. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17, he tells us where that kingdom is. God's kingdom is not far off. God's kingdom is not some distant land. He says this in chapter 17, verse 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can observe. Nor will they say, look here, there it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is what? In your midst. You know what Jesus is saying in that? The word literally means in your midst, means the kingdom of God is what? In you, if you're a believer. Yes, Christ will come and Christ will return to call those back to himself. But those he's calling are those that are already in his kingdom. So my question to you, my question to me, my question for us, the church this morning, have we experienced have we experienced God's kingdom in our life? And therefore, are we experiencing God's kingdom as his people? You see, when we have God's kingdom in our life and we experience God's kingdom, then it's what is true about all of us. We will have the peace of God, even in the midst of conflict. My prayer, your prayer, our prayer, ought to be your kingdom come. Let me pray for us this morning.